everyone. I'm Justine Ray, the Director of Customer Marketing from VIX, and I want to welcome you to our conversation today on how to get your teams using your CMMS from that early implementation phase right through to what we call everboarding, which is a term we use, as, which is essentially for continuously training and getting your new hires up and running in your CMMS program. So these are the types of topics in terms of driving usage and then how to continually evolve your CMMS program that we constantly get asked. So we really wanted to dedicate a full webinar on these topics to share learnings directly from our FIX community. To kickstart our conversation, we have Devin Arrow, who's a water resource manager from the city of Dawson Creek with us today. We so appreciate you making the time and really just sharing that behind the scenes, transparent story in terms of how you were successful in not only leading your digital transformation coming off of paper and pen, but how you did that in tandem with really that change management process you put in place with your organization. Uh, welcome, Devin. Thanks for having me. It's, I'm really happy to be here. And one thing was when we were listening to Devin's story, one critical factor that kept coming through and what you know really made this uh, implementation successful was how he partnered and empowered uh, with super user Gord Melky, who's a waste, uh, wastewater treatment operator. And that was really part of the, the process that they put into place. So of course, we wanted to see if we could get Gord on the webinar just to share his perspective so that you sort of have that full end understanding of how they rolled this out. And you can, even though they don't even work together anymore, it speaks volumes to just the level of their partnership, the fact that uh, Gord agreed to be with us today. So thanks so much, Gord, for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. And then finally, you probably recognize the face of Jason Afara if you've uh, attended one of our webinars before. His background in food manufacturing along just with his fixed CMS expertise and his role as a solution engineer just always adds value to our discussion. So I'm going to jump off the line and uh, Jason, I'm going to pass it over to you and I'll see you all in a little bit. Thank you, Justine. And uh, I'm really excited today to be joined by Devin and Gord. Uh, the city of Dawson Creek team who were responsible for the implementation of FIX software. That wasn't their first software implementation. Devin, do you mind just jumping in and just kind of talk about the, the lessons you learned from your previous uh, software implementations? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's good to be here, Jason, and, and chatting with you guys. When I was an engineering student first starting out my, my fledgling career at the city, I took on the, the project of taking um, and implementing an electronic document record management system, thinking this would be the be-all and end-all. Um, but I failed to realize some key points, um, one of them being communication, another one being buy-in. Um, I didn't really talk to anybody else that was going to be using the system as well. They just kind of did it. And also expectations. I had way too strong of expectations on the software. I thought it was going to be a silver bullet. I thought it was going to fix all our problems. We're going to bring it in, and then it's just going to, you know, it's just going to work. Uh, what I ended up doing was failing pretty poorly. Um, I learned a lot from it. It was unfortunate. It was a, it more than stalled. It failed. We, we never used it. Um, and it was just, I chalked that one up on the board and moved on and learned from those experiences. We also had a digital payroll at the city that was actually run. It tried to be implemented by another department um, following a lot of the same things that I, I just mentioned. They didn't get buy-in from management staff or anything like that. And just said, here's your system. You got to use it now. It doesn't really work that well, and there's lots of issues, but you'll figure out as you go. And it failed again. Um, so learning those things, some lessons learned, I took a lot from that, and uh, it made me really, really cautious and really, really particular at how I did this fix implementation. Yeah. So having having that buy-in, creating those uh, expectations early, and then as well as communicating throughout the process is is definitely uh, some important takeaways. Uh, Gord, I understand that 
this actually wasn't your first CMMS implementation uh, when you were working with Devin. Can you um, share some of the lessons learned from you know some uh, previous CMMS implementations? Yeah, so um, in my previous employments, I had uh, been part of a project management team to develop some different CMMS softwares and um, get them working with the operators to you know, do the maintenance on the plants and uh, make sure decrease the amount of emergency maintenance that had to happen uh, after hours during callouts, 2 a.m. kind of thing. So um, lessons we learned during those implementation phases that didn't really work out because it was kind of off the side of the desk. We learned that uh, you had to have a full project team managing it, managing the uh, development of the program and implementing it successfully. So yeah, pretty much just not off the side of the desk and find a program that's intuitive, easy to use so that the operators actually want to use it and have that uh, that buy-in. Yeah, definitely definitely echoes what Devin was saying in terms of, you know, having that buy-in and, and having that dedicated dedicated team. Um, I want to I want to ask why is having a, a CMMS important? And uh, Gordo, I will start with you on this one. Sure. Uh, for, for me, having a CMS is important because it kind of it ties into what I previously said was um, the 2 a.m. callouts. For me, having a robust CMS program decreases those um, 2 a.m. callouts for emergency maintenance because you're going to be doing that maintenance beforehand. You'll be doing it a week, two weeks before it fails and, you know, try to prevent it from failing. So that that's a huge priority in my uh, importance of having a CMS program. Yeah, uh, moving from that reactive, continuously reactive and the, the late night calls to more proactive and preventative measures. Um, now, Devin, do you mind kind of giving your two cents on, you know, the importance of uh, of having a CMMS? Yeah, from my perspective, um, absolutely, as an operator, um, doing those 2 a.m. callouts uh, is, is sweet overtime, right? Uh, they get lots of money and and our guys get paid double time and two hours of double time every time they get called out. And that's great for, for a while, but when you're doing that month on month, uh, year on year, it starts to wear on you. And then it's not really about the money. It's about quality of life. Um, if you're missing things or you can't get any sleep and you're, you're starting to stress taking that phone when you got the standby, you're not going to want that anymore. So for me, it was about quality of life for my operators. Um, it was about uh, retention planning and uh, staffing planning. Um, also, you know, the city is, is producing drinking water. Uh, we don't have the luxury of being able to shut down and, and just cut our, our profit we can't shut down it's quality of life right so um we had to be more proactive than reactive we had to make sure that i would rather be doing those fixes that we were doing at 2 a.m on a sunday night i'd rather be doing them on a thursday at you know one o'clock in the afternoon when everybody's here and if something goes wrong i can get the parts right that was the biggest thing before this we had you know pen and paper we didn't really have actually we didn't even have pen and paper we had a whiteboard like i have in the back a massive like eight foot whiteboard and we had everything written annual biannual semi-annual daily weekly but the problem is you couldn't really check it off because you need the weeklies the next week and so keeping track of those things was really really difficult there wasn't a lot of um we call it tribal knowledge or corporate memory either so um, this person would remember this because they were really interested in that but this person remembered to do that and so one person went um when they took off they quit they resigned they they got promoted all of that information went with them. And so lots of times we were stuck going, having to relearn the same thing over and over and over every time you hire a new person. And because we were being reactive and our operators were getting burned out, that was happening quite a lot. Yeah, so you know, moving from uh, reactive to preventative, improving the quality of life and improving the communication. 
And then uh, when you're practicing those preventative maintenance and preventative work orders, you have more resources. Um, waking up at 2 a.m. And, and going to a site isn't fun enough. Having to call somebody else because you need a part uh, is also an additional layer that uh, I'm, I think we've all dealt with and isn't necessarily the best place to be in. Um, I wanted to take a step back in, in talking about the, the implementation and, and gather a better understanding of um, the, the selection process um, and the implementation and how, if you could just kind of elaborate on those aspects of the implementation. So both the selection process and the implementation. So uh, Gord, we'll, we'll start with you on this one. Sure. Um, for, for us, when we were at the city of Dawson Creek there, uh, in the beginning, we had the idea to implement a CMMS program to, you know, address the reactive reactive problems that we were having. Um, so Devin first brought up three different demos solutions that we could, um, all five of us operators, take a look at and try to, um, you know, play with them, figure out which one we kind of liked better, which one was more intuitive, that sort of thing. And we, we all unanimous, unanimously agreed upon fix. Um, it was very intuitive. It was like Facebook and Instagram. You knew how to use it as soon as you kind of opened the app. It was very, um, it was very straightforward. So that that was a huge impact on uh, on the operations team having that that, that choice in the first buy-in. So that was awesome. And Devin, I understand that you um, you did something a little differently here in, in, in the implementation or uh, unique in you know uh, the the selection process. Uh, do you mind just sharing that story with us? Yeah, the selection process, I kind of took a different approach than I'd ever done before. I, I looked at, uh, you know, five different options and we currently had a system. So I also looked at maybe reusing that system, but it was clear that it wasn't intuitive. It didn't work. Um, every time I came to, I came to fix, I came to others and I said, look, it needs to work like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Nobody needs a big red binder to figure out how to work a social media platform. It just works. I need that for my operators as well. It needs to just work. If I have to spend four days flying them down to Texas to get training that they're gonna just forget when they come back, it's not gonna work for me, right? And, and we actually got those responses from some other software. So um, once I kind of nailed it down to two, I brought it to the operators and I said, look guys, we're gonna have a meeting. There was, there's five in the room. And I said, here, I put two of them up on the screen. I said, this one, this one, sit in the chair, play around with it. They played around with it for, you know, 20 minutes, they all got to play around with it. And while they got to see others playing around with it, they're asking questions. And then I said, okay, which one would you rather have? I mean, it doesn't matter to me. They're about the same cost. Uh, which one would you rather have? And they unanimously chose fix. And just mm -hmm. that, them making the choice on, on which system that they were going to be in, because at the end of the day, they're going to be living in it, was, was huge to be able to build buy-in for the operators. And um, what I always said was it has to work for my operators first. It has to work for me second because they're the ones living in it. They're the ones working it every day. They should be doing like, you know, hours of administration a day if they're doing a long day to make sure they're putting all the proper work in and it's not working for them. If there's roadblocks, it's not efficient, it's not effective, it's not convenient, they're not going to use it, right? Yeah, that, that ties into both what you and Gord mentioned earlier. Um, you talked about buy-in. So you're bringing them in early uh, prior to the selection, pr prior to choosing the CMMS. You're communicating with them. These are the two that you know I felt uh, meet most of our needs. Which one are you both comfortable or most comfortable with? And then what Gord spoke about earlier, you know, focusing on that team and and creating that team uh, buy-in or that team environment where everyone's moving forward with the uh, with the same uh, same goal. There, um, Devin, I understand that you are, you're certified as a project uh, certification and project management. Your PMP. Can you just elaborate on how that helped you um, with the implementation of a uh, fixed software? 
Yeah, um, the PMP, my PMP designation and my training was was immensely helpful. Um, people tend to think of projects as tangible, you know, building a building, putting a road in, um, uh, you know, installing a facility. But anything that has a definite start and stop is a project. So a software implementation project is a project, right? So uh, number one goal, um, some some project management theories that I, I took and, and applied here, and you don't have to be a PMP to, to realize these. One is setting realistic um, and clear expectations. So right off the hop, I was like, okay, like this is going to be a one-year one-year projects. So I had to set deadlines and target milestones that were realistic, not only for, for my team, but also for myself, realizing that I can't rush this, right? Um, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be a silver bullet. There's going to be sometimes problems that this software is going to bring about that we never had before. We just need to work through them as long as we communicate. Um, it might even, you know, cause more problems than it solves at first, but in the long run, it should save us time and money. And that's, we just got to keep our mind on the end goal, right? So I actually, um, leaned on a colleague of mine who used to do software implementation for large harbors and now she's a planning our planning manager and i i picked her brain and i said okay what what's like something you need to figure out and she said number one you can't do it off the side of your desk you need to bring in a project team you need to you need to really focus on it and i said what's the shortest time you've ever done an implementation she said six months it was a german team she went to a harbor in germany and it was six months and she's like they were fantastic but it was it was still six months and there's a hard there's a huge training education piece there's all of this right um so you've got to build your team you got to put full effort into it if you do it off the side of your desk it's going to fail i took that to heart i did two other implementations off the side of my desk our finance did one off the side of the desk they all failed so my mm -hmm. team i brought in a retired senior operator somebody with knowledge um, and then I brought in the admin to kind of do the QC and the data analysis. I knew he wasn't strong on this, so I supplemented his strengths with the admin that could take his data when he was going to all of our sites and plunking into a spreadsheet that he took a laptop with him. She could take that, put that in, and they'd work together. Some other project management techniques I used, uh, resource management, right? Resource uh, managing my people. So I took a Gantt chart. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Gantt chart, but it's basically a big schedule on a bar. Pinned it up on the wall. Every day I had a post-it note and said, okay, where are we at? This is where we're at this week. Looks like we're coming close. How are we doing, right? Okay, do we need to adjust? Do we need to take care of? It was a lot of communication, um, weekly check-ins. I would do these things called stand-ups. And anybody that's familiar with agile project management, it's a stand-up meeting in 15 minutes. The reason you call it a stand-up because nobody wants to stand for more than 15 minutes in a group. <laughs> so it forces people to get to the issues and, and get to them quickly, right? So we do these stand-ups, 15-minute stand-ups um, weekly just to make sure, okay, where are your roadblocks? Where can I help you? Um, so identifying my stakeholders, stakeholder management, another project management principle. Um, make sure, you know, my stakeholders are my operators. They are going to make or break this. If my operators can't buy in and they can't use it and they don't want it, it will fail, right? It doesn't matter how good the system is. If they don't use it, it fails as soon as I step out the door, right? So yeah, getting that, sure. getting that buy-in yeah. for sure. Absolutely. So I, and uh, at the end of the day, finding a champion. Project management technique, find a champion. You take your strongest, you know, you take your strongest people and you make them work with you together we're stronger as a group right yeah and, and we speak about champions and uh for this project that champion um was gourd in this case and uh you'd mentioned that gourd was a was an early adopter and as much as we would all love to have a, a team of gourds a, a team of those early adopters uh those late adopters or those individuals who need a bit more time uh, are prevalent how did you make, uh, and Devin, this is, we'll, we'll start with you again with this one. How did you make those people, th those late adopters, uh, more comfortable with the software? And how did you measure uh, their comfort level, I guess, with the software? 
So really, I mean, general project management theory, again, you have 10% early adopters, 10% of your late adopters, and everybody in the middle is just kind of waiting to see how the, the first people do before they decide to jump in. If it goes well, yeah, I'm in too, right? Um, so, I mean, I've got about six operators, so my 10% was one person, and I have a fantastic team, but even then, some people look at this whole system and go, oh, man, I don't know how I'm even going to, like, I don't, I can't even remember my password. How am I going to get in and start doing this, right? A uh, big thing was communicating. Um, I took a servant leadership role, made sure they had what they needed, constant check-ins with, with those people specifically, spending a little more time with them, and uh, again, or making sure that any roadblocks they have, hey, you can't remember my password? Let's make it easy. Let's make it, let's make it fun. Let's um, make sure you've got it in multiple places. And I didn't ever go big at one time. So it was small changes over time um, that, that, really, that really made the big difference. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really even go digital at first. I made them all do paperwork orders for a long time. It wasn't until I had Gord and Gord started doing digital and they went, wow, this is actually really easy and this paper stuff sucks. Can we please go digital? I was like, sure. Right at this point, they were asking to make that next step, and that that was how I knew it was kind of implementing and being successful when my team was starting to get curious and interested in it. That's that's great to hear. And Gord, you, as the you know as the champion um, and as that early adopter, how did you make more, your colleagues more comfortable with the with the CMMS? We always kind of had um, like as Devin said, those fifteen minute stand up meetings. So kind of every every day we were using the app inside it on the. Uh, either the mobile version or the desktop version and um, we're using it every day so as, as I'm on you know social media every day I use it quite frequently I was on the on the app as well and knew how to use CMMS kind of as it was intuitive right so I helped the operators that, that were the later adopters by um, communicating with them in those weekly meetings or even daily when they had an issue with completing a work order so they'd come to me and be like hey Gord how do I do this and I'd kind of show them the app on the on the phone or the computer, whatever they were using. And I'd just kind of walk them through, walk them through how to get from A to B and, you know, figure out what how to complete their task and where they were struggling with the uh, with the software and just kind of mentoring them in a in a sense to, you know, allow completion of the task. <laughs> Yeah, no, and, and that allows you also to create um, a relationship with your coworkers. They they can come to you with questions specifically about the software. Oh, I don't know how to do this. Let's go ask Gord. Um, and it also allows you as you're learning about different parts of the equipment and different parts of the operations to to work with them. So it creates a a good uh, a good path to you know having that good, that good team and those good relationships within that team. Um, so we've we've talked about you know getting that buy-in, um, communicating, creating those expectations having those specific the specific team and embracing the the early adopters yet being understanding towards those late adopters um, as Devin kind of mentioned earlier not done like it's uh, with most projects there's there's continuous improvement and in this case um, everboarding so Devin do you mind explaining you know what is everboarding and, and, and how that played a role in this implementation Oh, so for me, there's onboarding and then there's everboarding, right? And the onboarding process was the software implementation. That's a project. But when the software implementation is done, when I send my project team home, now I got the ongoing maintenance. I've got new staff coming in. I've got small changes here and there, tweaking. That's the learning is constant, right? It's not a one and done. Um, it's a continuous process. So by using, like when I bring new staff in, I get my veteran users, the any of my staff to say, hey, sit with these guys, show them how it works. It's always somebody different, right? Uh, there's I mean, the coaching technique is you learn more by by teaching than you do by doing right so 
I've had lots of times where the operators have come back to me and said, hey, you know what, I, I got this question, I didn't really think about it, but how do we do this? And I, I show them and they go, oh, hey, well, that makes sense. Now I can do it this way. And this, this makes so much more sense. So you're, you're kind of teaching each other and learning as you go. And, and the system itself, the fixed system now is part of our onboarding process. I sit a new operator down and say, have a look at all our assets. It gives them a chance to put boots on the ground without putting boots on the ground. We've got over 40 facilities across 20 kilometers at the city of Dawson Creek. It takes days to go to each one. And even then you need to go with somebody to know what you're looking at. This gives you a chance to see the assets, see what kind of schedule maintenance is attached to the assets. We've got all the manuals in there. They can play around with it. It's, it's really been supplementing, um, supplementing the onboarding process. And then on the other half of that, I've been tracking people's effort, right? Um, part of the everboarding process is making sure that I'm managing, you know, how much schedule maintenance we're doing, how much emergency repairs we're doing. So I've kind of broken it into those different um, different categories, schedule maintenance, operations, operations and sampling, emergency repairs, making sure and keeping track month to month of where we're at, um, building things, again, project management term called KPIs, um, key performance indicators using those uh i used 2019 as a baseline when i first implemented fix now and now i'm measuring 2020 against 2019 to make sure that we're on task you know if we're doing a lot of scheduled maintenance we're doing a lot of fixed work orders but we're doing a lot of repairs at the same place maybe it's not maybe it's a systemic issue maybe it's not you know maybe it's not anything we're doing maybe it's a, a system an older piece of equipment that keeps breaking that we just never noticed before and by doing that you start to see patterns right and you start to build your team and by doing all of that, you're, you're giving information and communicating to all of your team all the time, which allows them to do a better job. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And a key member of your team um, is your champion. And, and Gord, as, as the champion of this product, uh, project, how did Everboarding um, you know, play, into, play into your role? I guess a, a huge part that um, really kind of motivated us as, as the operators, um, as Devin mentioned, he did the effort tracking. So every day we'd kind of record the amount of hours that we spent doing preventative maintenance, reactive maintenance, emergency, all that kind of stuff. So, like I said, a huge part was seeing that weekly graph of, um, you know, your emergency maintenance decreasing in the amount of time that you spent there and more time going towards your preventative, predictive and your other maintenance tasks. So that was that was huge. That was very, um, very substantial and, you know, motivating us to continue to use the CMMS and you know work towards a better producing system and I understand too that um, during like the during the implementation and during the everboarding and, and during that process you created a spreadsheet that allowed you to have a bit of a, a feedback loop or a, a loop of communication uh, with Devin Gord do you mind uh, kind of elaborating on that a bit sure yeah um, so kind of kind of with those 15-minute stand-up meetings every Every week or every day, I'd be working with the operators in the app, right? So um, whenever somebody would have a uh, a question like, "How do I how do I take a picture and put it into the work order?" Like this fan, its belt is broken. How do I record that? I'd kind of work with them, take the picture on the phone, and record those kind of deficiencies that we found in the in a spreadsheet. And um, during those 15-minute stand-up meetings with Devin. I'd kind of share that spreadsheet with them with the um, deficiencies, if you will, that we found, or just you know the little hiccups that we found in using the CMMS. And then uh, Devin would bring that spreadsheet to you guys. And um, with that constant feedback loop, we'd have continuous development on the CMMS. And then we'd have a response relatively quickly so that we could work through those problems and get, the, uh, get our pictures loaded into the system so we could track them. 
And Devin, how did that, um, how did that uh, Excel sheet or the, uh, that tracker, how did that help you in your role? Uh, yeah, the, the Excel sheet was essentially an issues tracker, right? Which is again, another project management thing. So, I mean, you, it comes back to software implementation is a project. Um, it, it really helped being able to track all the issues and being able to be accountable for all those things. If my staff were to come to me and say, I can't do this, I can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll take care of it. And I'm like, I don't remember what it is. I don't deal with it. Um, we start to lose momentum, right? So I was very keen on making sure that I had everything that Gord said. I'm like, hey, Gord, build me a very, like, you know, very definite spreadsheet that has everything you need in it. I would go back to fix and the fix support was fantastic. Sometimes it was a, we just didn't know how to do it. And sometimes it was a little glitch and bug in the system or whatever that fix was fantastic about dealing with. It really felt like I had a software engineering team behind me the whole time. I would come back quite quickly to Gord or whoever, whoever else had the bug and say, here's like you talked about with Gord with the feedback loop and say, here's the issue. Here's how we fixed it. This is what we're going to have to do. Sometimes they didn't like the fix because it meant that they'd have to do a little more work, but at least they were getting that feedback, right? They knew I was working on it. And then over time, those issues started to go away. It's like anything. When you first start looking for things, you're going to find everything. You go, oh my gosh, I'm going to do that. But if you kind of chip away at it, slowly those issues go away. And then you have that momentum, all of a sudden it's starting to work. And we saw, we saw some really, really big results in that. So part of that whole thing was giving Gord trusting him enough to give him what I call God mode to the system. And now not everybody has that ability to give somebody that much access. I said, don't touch the accounts, don't touch the users. Just, I needed to give him full ability to work inside the system. Because at the end of the day, um, it's a lot of work for me to go back. He's like, I'm having this issue, this issue, this issue. He comes back to me, I'm busy. Um, I manage a bunch of other projects on top of, I, at the time I was doing two roles. I was the city's project manager for large capital projects, as well as doing the water resource manager role. So I just gave him the mode and I said, just do it. You know, I just make the changes. I trust you. Um, if you have anything big that you're really concerned about, let me know. Like, you know when to ask the questions. And, and doing that, I think, empowered Gord to make the changes. And then his peers started to see that, hey, you know what? Like, this isn't that hard, actually. Gord's making some awesome changes. And then his peers also were able to come to Gord because it's easier to talk to your coworker than it is your boss. Let's just be honest, right? For sure. So they would come to Gord and say, Gord, I can't get this to work. And he either fix it. Or he'd tell them how to fix it and he'd take care of it, right? And that way we kind of built that champion or gourd. And then I had somebody working for me that was doing a fantastic job. And it, it sounded like throughout that throughout that process, um, and kind of going back to those first points you both made, you know, communication was that was a big part. Communication throughout uh communication when Gord made changes, when uh the technicians, the operators gave feedback to uh to Gord, who then gave it to Devin, who then went to fix. So, you know, having that that detailed information and uh detailed communication was uh was definitely important to this uh successful implementation. I want to uh I want to thank both of you for for taking the time um today and, and answering the questions that that I had. Uh we're going to invite Justine back into our uh conversation and uh take some questions from our uh from our audience. Thank you. We've got a, a few coming in here. The first one is from Initial J. In terms of scale, um, and Devin, you can, I think, best speak to this. How many employees do you allocate as sort of master admin users for the size of assets or equipment you have? Uh, so scale in my department, we have, we have, at one time I had 10 employees. I have about 10 employees in. Um, I only ever have one or two as administrator, like myself and another person as like the God mode administrator that you talked about. You really have to be careful. You have to know that you trust those people. You have to know that um, they know what to touch in the system because, I mean, if they delete a scheduled maintenance task, it's gone forever, right? And that's really scary. But people like Gord, um, 
across the organization, I've got about 20 seats, I think. And we have about four different departments that are now seeing what we're doing here and they're starting to pick it up. Each one of those departments all have one administrator that um, they use to, to manage their sites. Thank you. Um, we have a, a number of questions coming in. I have one from Lori here. Um, she wants to know if there's any advice in terms of, uh, Devin, how you were able to set expectations with your management team in terms of regarding that timeline. Um, you know, people sort of want to turn the light on within the first 24 hours of go live. So how did you manage up and how were you able to get that runway so that you could be successful? Uh, yeah, so I, I started with, with expectations right up front. Uh, I talked to my manager and said, look, here's the deal. We can do it quickly or we can do it right. Um, I, I uh, talked about, I made a conservative estimate on cost, uh, resources and time that I need and really, really hammered home that like, this isn't something that's done off the side of the desk. We need a project team. We need to do it well. And I didn't even start the project until I had that buy-in from my management team. Right. Uh, so I explained the benefits of the system and, and talked about, like, I built my dedicated staffing team. I kind of built them a business plan and said, here you go. Um, also it was really helpful to contrast with what failure would look like. Um, a failed software implementation, which we've seen before, that helped to contrast with, say, the payroll system that we tried before. Um, you just need to take time and do it right. And failure will put us further back. It'll create, you know, it'll decrease morale in the team because everybody's usually generally pretty excited about moving to the cutting edge of technology. And and Fix really is kind of the cutting edge of where you're at, right? It's cloud-based. It's all online. It's it's there. People, I mean, generally people get excited with that kind of stuff. So failure puts you back. Generally, it makes the organization not going to want, they're not going to want to try again. And those are all, all concerns that, that uh, I brought up to him. And, and absolutely, I think that really helped. It went a long ways. Thank you. I love this question. This is from, from Anuj. Basically, he's asking, what happens if I don't have a Gordon? <laughs> How can I still be successful? Um, well, for me, make a Gord. Uh, find your champion. And that, that's the biggest thing I would say. Um, Take that person that, and your champion is anyone that's that's keenly interested in it, either because they're really annoyed by it and they don't like it at all and they keep coming to you with issues, or they like it in Gord's case and they're like, hey, I think we could do this. Hey, why don't we do this? I saw that Fix has this ability. Why aren't we doing that? You take that person, they have a personal interest. That means they're invested in it in some way, shape, or form. You empower them. You build trust with them. Um, building trust and giving them that God mode or giving them some sort of responsibility, making them a champion does empower them. And it lets them lead the change that you want to see from within the, their peers, right? That's the biggest thing. Excellent. Thank you. Um, all right. So we've got a question here from Ankit. Um, this is for you, Devin, as well. What aspect of implementing fix uh, took the longest? And also, what surprisingly took longer um, than, than you expected, maybe from your initial plan? So what took longest, um, the actually the implementation, so there was, we, I kind of broke it into phases for my team. I had different phases. I had like the data collection. Um, and during the data collection, I broke out a phase where we did a small test run of just the water treatment plant. So we did all the assets for the water treatment plant. And as uh, my the senior operator was going and collecting data for the rest, I had my um, admin starting to build SMs because the water treatment plant is where we work out of. So it was easy if we had issues to go deal with, it wasn't remote, we could manage it. The hardest part that took the longest was actually setting up all the SMs and setting them up properly. At what point we screwed up our SMs and we had it fire every minute and fire even if one hadn't fired, we came in the next day and we had like 700 SMs. And I was getting emails all night. So it was, it was things like that that like you're having issues with, right? Um, and SMs really, you, you wanna take the time 
schedule maintenance tasks, you want to take your time to, to do them properly. And that took a long time. You don't want to boilerplate them. You don't want to, you want to make sure each one is individual. And, and that was the biggest thing. But what we found too, when we started to implement and started to roll out to the team was there was a lot of changes to the SMs because um, even though I had an ex operator doing the work, I mean, as the R operator started rolling in and actually doing the work orders, they were like, this doesn't make any sense. This one specifically doesn't have this. And there was little changes here and there. And that's where your champion comes in. While he's doing that, he can just make those changes instead of it backlogged on my desk. Thank you. I've got another question here from Randy. I feel like this, I'm going to start uh, handing it to you, Devin, but I think it would be great for it if, if you could chime in if you have any thoughts on it. Um, sure. So this is really from that group in the beginning that were identifying themselves uh, in terms of Randy's implementation. Has it maybe you know sort of stuck the way he envisioned? He's having some challenges with user adoption. Do you have any ideas just based on what you've gone through in terms of how to relaunch a program that's already underway and and be able to get that uptake and become and become successful? I would treat it like a project, quite honestly. Um, treat it like a project. Build your team, set your expectations right at the start. Be like, okay, look, this is where it's at. You know, um, check your assumptions and be realistic about your goals and then start to communicate, right? Really, really make sure you're communicating. Communicating to the team and whatever else, it's going to be harder before it gets better. But once you get there, it will be much better, right? Building within a existing system is very difficult. Building a new system is a lot easier, right? I think also um, to rebuild, I guess, is try to measure, try to measure um, like what Devin was doing was um, measuring the hours spent in each each um, each of those maintenance tasks and, and try to see if you can boost those numbers by, you know, cultivating excitement towards reducing the 2 a.m. call outs kind of thing. Maybe maybe that would help as well. Yeah. I tend to be well, my department cheerleader. <laughs> Keep going, guys. Like You're doing a great job. Yeah. And then everyone, like you said, everyone just finding their board is always going to is going to help. So absolutely. We've also had a couple of questions, which is really great, just around some of the key learnings um, that we've been uh, discussing today, and we'll definitely be packaging those up um, as a takeaway following uh, following this webinar. Um, so I'm just gonna bring in one last question here. It's a little bit of the world of new normal question, and it's coming in from uh, from Krista, and Krista sort of wants to know, you know you've, you've got this program, it's stable, it's been up and running, and then you have COVID hit. Has there been any sort of impact in terms of how you're running your program that you've had to adjust for to, you know, whether it's new protocols, um, you know, working with different departments? Uh, maybe, Devin, I could kick it to you first, and then if you have any thoughts on that, Gord, if there's anything you've had to start doing differently or adjust just to make sure that you're, again, catering to the impact of COVID. Yeah, COVID was interesting when it came in. Uh, our team already works remotely. Like we have 40 sites, right? And we have specific um, we have specific shifts. We have a water shift, a sewer shift, and a float shift. So when COVID came around, we just kind of basically said, these guys, these are your buildings. Maintain them, take care of them. These are your buildings for two weeks. End of shift, end of day, sanitize everything because you never know who's going to be coming in after you. Um, what really helped with that was Fix had everything in there, so it allowed us to really work remotely. Part of our Fix implementation was I got all my operators Surface laptops. Now, that's not something everybody can do, but at the end of the day, that allowed them to run their skater remotely, uh, work on their, their Fix work orders remotely, and communicate easier. Uh, it gave us direct access to web conferencing, which is huge, and Fix gives us the um, flexibility and it, of just communicating in, in more diverse ways. It's all about different modes of communication because everybody learns and likes to communicate differently. Some people like text, call, video chat, 
whatever, right? So it, always changing all of that. Biggest thing with COVID, more communication. But definitely, we've had that yeah. come across some other webinars as well in terms of just making sure that you're staying connected even though you're remote. Uh, Gord, is there anything that from your experience uh, where you are in terms of doing things differently now? The only thing that's really changed for us is the amount of time it takes in, or, in order to receive deliveries. Um, for example, it, it's taken me four weeks now to get a shipment of gloves. So um, I guess just the the lead time, increase your, uh, your ordering horizon and uh, make sure that you order enough stock that it'll last you a fair amount of time so that it doesn't uh, get black backlogged and you don't, you won't get your stuff. So I guess maintain an inventory that's substantial for at least the next three or four months because you never know when your delivery might you know show up. Great. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a <laughs> common a common um, situation for a lot of people these days, but something to definitely stay on top of. So thank you so much for both of you. I think hearing both ends of your perspectives in terms of not just the implementation, but then just how you continue to, to grow your CMMS experience uh, was beneficial for everyone that was on the line today. And just really being transparent about uh, you know what worked and, and, and where you had some learnings and, and how you found success. So thank you so much to both of you. Um, and then Jason, it's always great to have you in our conversation, You know, just in terms of how we get all those nuggets of information out of our guests. So uh, thank you again for taking the time to uh, to join us on the panel today. Thank you. This, uh, this was a lot of fun and a great conversation. Um, that's it for us today. Thank you so much. And I hope that you found something that you can start applying uh, as soon as we end this webinar. All right. Thanks again. We'll see you soon. Bye.